We hope you've had a great day. Do you have your Bibles again? Hold them up high. Everybody with a Bible, hold them up high. All right, I want to invite you to turn that Bible to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm 90, verses 9 through 12, here in just a few moments. Tonight I'm going to be talking to you about one of the simplest, simplest sermons you've probably ever heard in your life. You know, sometimes when a minister speaks, he tries to sound profound, maybe educated, to use his big words. And you almost have to have a dictionary to understand what he's saying. Then there are those who speak simply, passionately from the heart. And I believe those are the ones that do the best good. Tonight, you probably will never hear a simpler sermon than you're going to hear tonight. Many of you remember Foye Wallace. Maybe some of you knew him personally, but by reputation anyway. He did not have a college degree, but he was a brilliant man, a great author, and wrote some of the finest books, uh, deep books. He was in a meeting one time with a young guy, a preacher that had a master's degree, and that was quite a bit of education back in the day. And this young man was feeling pretty proud of his achievements as a a person of uh, education. So he said to Brother Wallace, he said, "Uh, Brother Wallace, uh, how many degrees do you have? And Brother Wallace said, 98.6 when I'm normal. Well, that's probably a good answer, isn't it? 98.6. And so what I want you to do tonight is just listen very carefully to these five simple points. Apply them as the application uh, should be there for you. And I want to jump right into the first point. Number one, life is short. That's simple. Life is short. Do you know how many times the Bible talks about the brevity of life? In the book of Job, chapter 7 and verse 1, Job said, Is there not an appointed time to man on the earth? In Job 7 and verse 6, he said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Now, in all likelihood, that doesn't mean much to us. We've never seen a weaver's shuttle. Several years ago, I was standing in a Kentucky town, and there was an old-fashioned loom that had been set up in the window of that storefront. It had been hooked up to electricity, and I watched as the loom Moved back and forth, the weaver shuttle as he went back and forth. I thought about Job 7. It made sense. My days are passing away so very quickly. And then again we read in Psalm 89, 47, remember how short my time is. In James chapter 4, James says, Go to now, you that say today or tomorrow, will go into such and city and continue their year, and buy and sell and get gain. For whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a short time, and then it vanishes away. Life is very, very short. In Psalm chapter 90, verses 9 through 12, in what is commonly referred to here as the prayer of Moses, the man of God, starting in verse 9, he said, All our days passed away, pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. They quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear that's due you. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. What does that mean? If I live to be 70 or 80 years old, I multiply that times 365. Every four years, I add an extra day, and I say, well, I'm numbering my days. You think that's what he's talking about? Not at all. When he says number your days, he's saying, don't waste your time. Spend your time wisely. 
You're only going to be here a short time, and then we fly away. But folks, if I had never read one of those verses in this Bible, I would already know life is short, life is brief. When I lived in Milan, Tennessee, a preacher friend at, at that time preaching in Jackson had a young wife. He had two kids, small kids. His wife had minor surgery, minor surgery. He stayed with her in the hospital after she got back in the room after the surgery and spent the afternoon with her and on into the early part of the night. And he told her after a while, he said, I'll go home. I'll get somebody to stay the night with the kids and I'll get them all settled in and I'll come back and spend the night with you. And she said, Charles, that won't be necessary. She said, I feel good. She said, just go on home. I'll see you in the morning. Something happened that night. By morning, she lay a corpse. Don't know what happened, but something happened in the night, minor surgery, and she was dead. Probably not more than in her 30s or early 30s. When I first started preaching, I was in Evansville, Indiana. I was one of the, the ministers at the Belmead Avenue Church of Christ, which is now Washington Avenue. There was a friend of mine who preached over at Morgan Avenue. He was a young man. Uh, it might have been his first work, for all I know, but he was married to a young lady named Martha. He and Martha had a little boy named Michael and a brand new baby, about six months old, when I first got to know him. Martha had Hodgkin's disease. She died at the age of 24, leaving her husband and two little kids, 24 years old. See, I know life is brief. When I was in Swartz Creek, Michigan, I had to call one day from one of our ladies in the church, and she said, Wayne... My sister had a baby that only lived for just a few hours, and we want you to preach the funeral. Would you preach the funeral? I preached the funeral of a baby who lived a few hours. Life is short. About two months passed. I had a call from that same lady. She said, Wayne, you remember that uh, sister of mine whose uh, baby died? You preached the funeral? I said, yes, I do. She said, now the mother has died. Would you preach her funeral? A little baby, two months later, the mother of that little baby. See, life is short, folks. We need to remember that. Life is so very, very brief at best. You know, somebody says, well, I know somebody that lived to be 100 years old. You know, even 80 or 90 is so, so small an amount compared to eternity. Methuselah lived 968 years. 969, I believe it was. And then he died. And I think compared to eternity, even that is short. So life is very, very short. And all those things we want to do and plan to do, we'd better get busy. You don't know how much time you have. Not any one of us in this room knows how much time he has. And I know for some of us, it can't be very long at best until we'll be launched out into eternity. I'm thinking about a man whose name was Thomas Paine. He wrote a book entitled The Age of Reason. In that book, he did his dead-level best to destroy the faith of anybody who would read it, especially young people. Thomas Paine, author and atheist, as he lay dying, he cried out, O Lord, stay with me, help. Send even a little child to be with me, for it's hell to be alone. Then he said, I would give worlds if I had not written The Age of Reason. O Lord, stay with me help. And so here is a guy who gave his life to trying to destroy faith, but on his deathbed, he cried out, Lord, help me. Lord, be with me. Send even a little child to be with me. If the devil ever had an agent, he said, I am that man. 
He was the devil's helper, and he realized it. But it was too late to do anything about it. So life is short, folks. And some of you in this room, you've been saying maybe for a long time, I'm going to become a Christian someday, or I'm going to get active in the church someday. I'll start teaching a Bible class one of these days. One of these days, I'll begin to be more active in church. I'm going to do it one of these days. And yet, time is flying by, jet speed. And you haven't done it yet. And you don't know how much time you have left. One thing I know about death, folks, it's not a respecter of persons. It comes to the rich, the poor, the bond, the free, male and female. It comes to all of us. So we better get ready, stay ready, for we know not what hour death will take us or even the Son of Man might come. So life is short. That's the first thing that I would remind you of. Here's the second powerful truth, and that is eternity is long. And we preachers stumble all over ourselves when we try to talk to you about the length of eternity. We sometimes say things like this, where will you spend eternity? Well, you can't spend it. You can spend a dollar fast, maybe even a hundred dollars, but you can't spend eternity. It's inexpendable. It goes on and on and on. Let me share with you two old illustrations that maybe give you some concept of the length of eternity. Let's suppose this world of ours weighs six sextillion, 570 quintillion tons. Let's suppose it's one solid steel ball. And let's suppose that just once every 100 years, a little sparrow flies by and just brushes his wing against Mother Earth. 25,000 miles in circumference, 8,000 miles in diameter, but he just flies by, brushes his wing. How long do you think it would take him, once every 100 years, just brushing it with his wing, that he would wear a little spot that you could see on Mother Earth if it were a solid steel ball? How long would it take him to wear, let's say, a, a little furrow or maybe a, a little ditch a foot deep? How long would it take him, folks, till he completely brushed it away? And what I'm telling you is, if that could happen, it would barely be breakfast time in eternity. Life is short. Life is brief. And eternity is long. Now I want you to think for a moment the difference in the way people are going to be in eternity. Here's a fellow who in his life had no time for God. He enjoyed his friends. He enjoyed Sundays when he could go play golf or go to the lake or maybe go hunting. It was a day of pleasure for him. He never even thought about God. And so the time came when he passed into the, the next world. And in that world, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he began to think, you know, when I was a boy, I remember growing up in my mother, mother's home and listening to her talk about hell and the length of it, but he said, you know what? Surely, within a year from now, the wrath of God will have abated. He won't be angry with me anymore, and, and I'll be able to get out of this place. And a year goes by at a snail's pace, as men count time, and he's still there. And then he begins to reason like this. I was wicked, and I did leave God out of my life, and I deserve where I am. But you know, surely God won't be angry with me in five years, and in five years, he'll let me out of this place. In five years slowly creep by at a snail's pace as men count time and he's still there and then he thinks maybe after a hundred years but a hundred years go by he's still there hell's still just as hot his misery just as great and he begins to cry how long how long must i endure this hell how long must i burn in these flames and the answer comes back 
echoing off the walls of hell. You're there forever, 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 forever. Here's a fella, when he was just a teenager, he heard the gospel of Christ. He'd been reared in a Christian home. And so one day he walked down the aisle and gave his heart and life to Jesus. And though he was not perfect, he did his very best to live for Jesus. His name was Jim. Jim, after a while, was married, had kids. And he taught a Bible class in the, in the church. And after a while, the elders came to Jim and they said, Jim, we'd like you to be a deacon. We've been watching you and you're a good example. And we just want you to be a deacon, serve this church. Would you do that? And Jim said, I'd be happy to serve in any way I can. And so years go by, and Jim continues to be a faithful part of the church. And then one day, his hair is gray, and elders come back, and they say, Jim, uh, we need some more shepherds here. And we've watched you. We've seen you since you were a boy, and we've watched you grow up. And you've impressed us with your spirituality and your love for the Lord. And we just think you'd make a great shepherd. And would you serve as one of our elders? And Jim said, well, I don't feel worthy, but if you think I can help, I'll be glad to do what I can. And so Jim served for a number of years. He was a faithful shepherd of the church. But after a while, he too died. And he was carried by the angels over in the bosom of Abraham, as we read in Luke 16. And there in that beautiful paradise, he's at peace. It's a beautiful place. He's comfortable. He's loving life loving eternal life. And we look at him and we say, yeah, but how long can he stay there? And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Peter says, we'll receive an inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away. And so he's going to be there forever and ever. Matthew 25, 46 says, these shall go away in everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And so that's the way it'll be in eternity, folks. Some will be in heaven and some will be in hell. So I ask you this. If Jesus came tonight or if death overtook you tonight, where would you be? Where would you be? For it's appointed in a man wants to die. After this comes judgment. And all those things you were going to do and all those things that you wanted to do be too late. So I'm just asking you then, folks, for this eternity that never stops. It goes on and on and on, longer than you and I can even begin to imagine. It's infinite, and we're finite, and we can't even comprehend it. But just where would you be for all eternity? So life is short, eternity is long. Here's a third tremendous point that I want you to remember, and that is that sin is terrible. And one thing I know for sure about all of us, I said it last night, I say it again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin's a terrible thing, folks. The Bible says, for us but one man sinned entered the world, and death by sin, so then death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, for that all have sinned, Romans 5, 12. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, 8, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. And so... We've all sinned. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And Jehovah has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. And so sin's passed on all of us. We've all committed sin. Let me tell you what sin is. Sin is the transgression of the law. That's what 1 John 3, 4 says. Whosoever committed sin transgresseth the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Now what does that mean? Well, sin is law-breaking. When God says do something and we don't do it, we have transgressed the law. 
And so that's what sin is. In 1 John 5, 17, John says, all unrighteousness is sin. And so what's not righteous is unrighteous. It's wicked. And so sin is wickedness. And boy, do we ever live in a wicked world, don't we? Just look around and see the things that, that you see. In your newspapers here in Jonesboro, you read about all kinds of sin, about a man who's uh, having sexual relations with a 14-year-old girl. And then I read about a woman who sold her little girl at four, four years old, for sexual reasons. Can you imagine? So that's the wicked, sinful world in which we live. And I, it's, it's more, it happens more than we like to think about. And you and I would be shocked to death if we knew some of the things going on right here in our own town right now. Sin is terrible. It's wickedness, it's unrighteousness, and it is transgression of the law. Here's something else sin is. It's omitting the good. James says, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it's sin. Let me ask you this. Do you all think it would be good to attend the services of a revival? I mean, maybe would that be good? Where's the crowd? Where are our brothers and sisters? Now, I know some of them have maybe a good reason, but you came. You think maybe they could have if their priorities had been better? I mean, is it good to be here? Is it good for us to sing and pray and study the Word of God? Is it good for us to try to encourage each other to be more faithful, love God more and serve Him better? Is that good? You know, sometimes we don't understand maybe what we're doing. I, I like to think we're good people. We're good people. But a lot of times our priorities are so messed up that we put many things before our love for the Lord. You know what Jesus said in Luke 14, 26? He said, if a man comes to me and hates not his, mo his, his mom and dad, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, and yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And he said in verse 33, if a man forsake not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. It costs to be a Christian. I talked about it last night. It costs to be a Christian, and many of us are just not willing to pay the price, even though we've been baptized. When we begin to realize the sacrifices that must be made, many of us take a back seat, don't we? And so I'm saying to you that those who know to do good and don't do it, the Bible says it's sin. That's exactly what it is. And here's another thing about sin, my friends, and that is what it does to you. You have to understand that sin will absolutely destroy you. You hurt yourself when you live in sin. And so sin is, is a dangerous thing because those who live in sin, the Bible says, will pay a price. Listen to what, Jesus, what Paul said. He said in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Ezekiel 18, 20, the prophet said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And so sin will cost you your soul, cost you everything. In fact, it'll cost you happiness here. You know, a lot of people living in sin think they're having a great old time. They feel sorry for you Christians. I even had a neighbor across the street from me one day. I walked over to a couple of my neighbors who were visiting in his yard, and I walked over to speak to them, and they were sitting there drinking a beer. And one of them said to me, would you like a beer? And I said, no, I don't drink. Oh, he said, yeah, you're one of those Christians, aren't you? I said, yes, I don't drink. And he said, well, I feel sorry for you Christians. Y'all don't have any fun. I said to him, we have more fun than anybody. 
We have more fun than anybody. If you don't think that's true, you go to a restaurant on Sunday night after church where a group of Christians are talking, visiting. They're laughing and having a great old time. And I'll tell you something else about us. After we've had a good time, we go home and sleep well. And after some of our friends have had a night of sinful pleasure, they go home and toss and turn. They don't sleep well because their conscience bothers them. And so I'm saying to you then that sin will cost you in this life and in the life to come. And you can't afford to be a sinner. The wages of sin, you get paid for your sin. Somebody says, you know, crime doesn't pay. Well, sin pays, but you can't afford the price. Sin pays because the wages of sin is death. That's a promise. And so sin is a terrible thing. And you know what? The Lord tells us how to get out of sin. What can wash away my sins? We sing that. What can wash away my sins? What's the answer? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, sometimes people say, you folks in the Church of Christ believe in water salvation. That is not true. We believe in blood salvation. That's the only kind of salvation that is. Blood salvation. Jesus said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Matthew 26, 28. Paul said, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In 1 John 1 7, he said, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all our sins. Hebrews 9.22 says, it's not the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats that takes away our sins. It was the blood of the lamb, the spotless son of God. And so, that's how we get out of our sin, the blood of Christ. But you say, how do we do that? Oh, I talked about it last night. But let me share with you a verse in Romans 6, 23. Where did Jesus shed his blood? You say, well, he shed his blood when he was scourged, when they put a crown of thorns on his brow, when they nailed him to the cross. That's where he shed his blood. And so if that's where he shed his blood in his death, then what I have to do if I want the blood to wash my sins away then here's what I do, Romans 6, 3, and 4. Know you not? That so many of us, as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his what? To his death. That's where he shed his blood. And when we're baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his death. And therefore, like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. New life begins when we've been baptized into Christ where the blood of Christ washes all our sins away. We believe in blood salvation, folks. And the answer is very simple. That's the only way to get rid of your sins, through the blood of Christ. That happens when you're baptized as a penitent believer into his death. Then the blood of Christ will do its work. Life is short. Eternity is long. And then the next thing that I would remind you of, not only is sin terrible, but number four, hell is real. Hell is real. I know preachers don't preach much about hell anymore. I, maybe some of you'd have to think back a long time about the last time you heard a sermon on hell. But whether we preach about it or not doesn't change the fact that it's in the Bible. And did you know <coughs> Jesus had more to say about hell than he did about heaven? Now you and I would rather talk about heaven. We'd rather hear about heaven. But Jesus had more to say about hell than he did about heaven. Why would he do that? And I'll tell you why he did it, folks. Because he loved us so much, he wanted to warn us of that horrible place so that we would not go there. He warned us over and over again about hell and about how horrible it is. 
to help us not to go. Let's suppose uh, you're on the highway that goes into Memphis and the bridge is out that goes across the Mississippi River. Let's just suppose you're, you're on that road and you're making good time. It's a very dark night. It's a rainy night. And for some reason or the other, that bridge is out. And I, I'm your friend and I know it's out. And I have a chance to be out there on the road warning you to stop. Would I be your friend if I just let you go on and run off that bridge? Wouldn't be your friend at all. And so that's the way Jesus was about hell. He stands and warns us over and over again. He tells us that hell is real. You read about it. Luke 16, about a man, a rich man, the Bible says, who forgot all about helping a poor beggar at his feet, at his gate. And so the Bible says the rich man died and was buried. And he lifted up his eyes in torment. He saw Father Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in these flames. Jesus told the story about that man so we could know that hell is a place of torment. I want to tell you four things about hell tonight. I hope it's the only time you have to ever hear about hell. I don't want you to ever experience it, but I'm going to tell you four things about hell. Number one, hell is a place of separation. You remember in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus depicted the judgment? He said when the Son of Man would come back, he'd sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him would be gathered all the nations of the earth, and he would separate them, he would divide them, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. He'll separate them. In one of these days, there'll be a judgment. Some of you in this room right now are married to a faithful Christian. You never have given your life to Christ. Maybe you've been coming to church with her a long time or with him. And for some reason or the other, you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've been married 50 years or so. Do you realize that one day you'll be separated forever? I heard about an old fellow that he and his wife had been married for over 50 years and he went to church with her all the time, but he had never become a Christian. So uh, one day the preacher at the church where they were preached about hell and he told about hell as a place of separation. He said, some of you in this very room are going to be separated from your mate for all eternity. You have loved that person. You've been faithful to him all these years. But one day, if you don't become a child of God, you're going to be separated from your mate. As they went home that night out on the little farm where they lived, there was almost not a word was said as they drove home. After a little while, they went to bed, but the old man kept tossing and turning in the bed. He was not resting at all. And so finally the wife reached over and turned on the light by the bedside. She looked at her husband and said, uh, Honey, what's wrong? Do you feel bad? And he said, Well, the preacher said something tonight that's upset me greatly, and I just want to know it's true. He said, Because I'm not a Christian, that when Jesus comes to judge us, you'll be on one side and I'll be on the other side of the gulf. He said, Does the Bible really teach that there is a great gulf that'll be between us? She reached over and got the old family Bible lying there on the nightstand. She turned to Luke 16. She just read him those words. Between us and you, there's a great guff fixed so that those who would come from one side to the other can't do it. She closed her Bible, and with tears in her eyes, she said, Honey, it's true. It is true that you'll be on one side of the guff, and I'll be on the other. The old man said, after a few moments of contemplation, he said, You know, We've been married now over 50 years, and not one time in 50 years have I, been, have I been away from you at night. 
He said, you remember when the children were born? I was able to be there with you through that. In fact, he said, when you were in the hospital, had that surgery. You remember, he said, I, I had them bring me in a cot and I slept there by your bedside. We've never been separated, he said, not one night in over 50 years. And then he said, do you think in the morning when we wake up, we could call our preacher and have him baptize me into Christ so we could be on the same side of the gulf? Hell's a place of separation, folks. Some of our children are going to be on one side and some will be on the other. Some of our loved ones on one side and some on the other. And while we have time and chance and opportunity, we better do our dead level best to get them into Christ where they can be with us for all eternity. Hell is a place of separation. Here's the second thing. Hell is a place of intense suffering. Intense suffering. The Bible said he lifted up his eyes in torments. He cried, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. I don't have any way to tell you just how awful it's going to be. It's going to be a, a place of suffering. Some of you in this room have suffered some. I had a heart attack several years ago when I was 59 years old. I had a heart attack. I had open heart surgery. It was awful. I thought after that surgery, I never would have it again. I think I'd just die first. That was the way I felt about it after it was over. And then I had surgery worse than that. You say, what's worse than heart surgery? I had both knees replaced at the same time. Don't ever do that. But I will tell you the pain of two knees being replaced at the same time was excruciating. Pain like I had never, ever dreamed of. But I'm going to tell you this. The pain of open heart surgery or the pain of having your knees replaced cannot begin to compare with the pain I believe that there'll be in a burning, boiling, bubbling like a fire. This week in Mexico, nine people lost their lives. They say it was a cross shoot between two uh, groups of uh, drug runners. Some of them were kids. Two little kids, nine months old, twins. They found them still in their little chairs, their little car seats, burned to death. Awful way to die. I'm saying to you, we cannot begin to imagine the pain of hell. Hell is a place of suffering. And if you think it's going to be great, you're very badly mistaken. I was in school with a boy at Freed Hardeman College from Tehran, Iran. He was not a believer. He was not even a good Muslim. But I remember one time I tried to talk to him on several occasions about his soul, but one time he told me this. He said, I'm going to hell where all the movie stars are, as if that would be a good thing. It may be where a lot of the movie stars are, but folks, you won't enjoy their company. Because you see, there's another thing about hell that you need to know. It's not only a place of suffering and separation, it's also a place of the vilest companions. You read in Revelation 21.8, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and whoremongers and sorcerers and adulterers and murderers and all liars will have their place in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so you will live amongst people that you would try your dead level best to avoid in this life. Awful people. There's no love in hell. There's no friendship in hell. Be nothing but pain and suffering. 
and moaning and gnashing of teeth. That's the place of hell. And so hell is a place of suffering, separation, a place of vilest companions. Now I want you to think about the different way that people are going to be in eternity. People are going to be in different places in eternity. In hell, some will be there. Uh, if you've forgotten God in this life, that's the best God has to offer you. That's the best. But here's another fellow who, in life, served the Lord faithfully all his life, and death came to him. And we see him now. He's in heaven. He's enjoying eternity with God. There he is. How long can he be? We said, forever and ever and ever. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And so, if you go to hell, it'll be there forever. It's eternal. If you go to heaven, it'll be eternal. Hell is a place of separation. It's a place of suffering. It is a place of the vilest companions. But you have a chance to miss it. And this brings me to point number five. Heaven can be yours. Have you ever studied much about heaven? Recently I preached eight sermons on heaven. I came to know more about heaven in those eight lessons than I ever have in my life. And tomorrow night I'm going to preach to you about heaven. What a beautiful place it is and why I want to go there. And I'm just going to take those eight lessons and kind of boil them all down into one and just tell you why I want to go to that beautiful place. But I want to tell you this. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. It is a place of paradise. It's a place that's so wonderful, it's beyond human description. We can't even imagine how beautiful it is. I heard about a little girl who was walking one star-filled night with her dad and and the little girl was looking up and just looking up in the stars and she was smiling. And her daddy saw her and he said, honey, what are you smiling about? And she said, daddy, I was just thinking, if this side of heaven is this beautiful, how much more beautiful the other side must be? Can you imagine how beautiful heaven's going to be? I don't know about you folks, but I want to go there. I want to go there very, very badly. I want you to go, and tomorrow night I'm going to tell you about heaven, and I just hope and pray when I do get through telling you about it, you'll say, I will not miss it. But don't wait till tomorrow night. Come tomorrow night knowing that you're already in the kingdom, that you're already saved, and you're on your way to heaven. And so if you're in this room tonight and you're not already a child of God, I want you to know that life is short. It's going away at jet speed, and we need to know that. I've been preaching now for 57 years, and I can tell you it seemed like yesterday when I started. I remember when our first child was born, as if it were yesterday. And this December, he'll be 56 years old. I have a daughter just turned 52, and it's just almost more than I can comprehend that my babies have grown so quickly, and my son is now grandfather. And my daughter will become a grandmother early in the next year. Unbelievable to me. So I'm saying to you, life is really passing us by. Don't wait. Don't miss opportunities. We are to redeem the time because the days are evil, Paul said. And also I'd remind you, eternity is long. In, in hell, so long. In heaven, aren't you glad it never ends? Sin is awful. It's destroying you. Get out of it. Hell is real, folks. Whether we talk about it much or not, it's in the Bible and it's real. And lost sinners are going to go there. But if you're a child of God, heaven can be yours. Heaven can be yours. And so tonight as we stand to sing our invitation song, if you're not already a Christian, you've never been born again, come tonight and let the blood of Jesus wash your sins away by being baptized into Christ, into his death. 
If you're needing our prayers for any reason, don't wait, folks. Respond tonight and come and make things right with God while we stand to sing.